Welcome to The Summit with your co-hosts, Jeremy Turman and Andrew March. The Summit uncovers the true drive and motivation that makes people successful. We talk with amazing individuals to break down how they define success, choose their goals, and their decision-making process as they climb their mountains. On our first episode of The Summit, we have Brendan Thomas with us. He is a young, successful director working for one of the largest and fastest growing technology companies in America, DoorDash. We're going to explore how he made a dramatic change from finance to technology and dive deep into his core motivation and his decision-making processes that allowed him to be successful in that transition. On today's episode, we do want to thank our sponsor, Fitzby, an athleisure company designed to re-inspire and further facilitate your on-the-go lifestyle. Check out Fitzby at fitzby.com, F-I-T-S-P-I.com, and use code THESUMMIT30 for 30% off. Welcome to the show. Ready to rock. There we go. Brendan, happy to have you on the show, my man. Me as well. Yeah. Super excited. Super excited to be here chatting with you guys here today. To, to give our, our climbers a, a quick overview of Brennan Thomas here. He's a Syracuse grad, highly recruited by top financial firms, ended up at JP Morgan where he spent you know, several years in the internal strategy division, dissecting payments and credit cards and analysis. I'd have to say this guy is probably the best deck builder we've seen not to mention that in just his brief short three years at DoorDash, he's now climbed to run half of our entire enterprise team uh, and is responsible for billions of revenue. So Brendan, in addition to all of that, you're an ultra marathon runner. You, you have triathlons and we'll, we'll be excited to dive into how you even figure out how you do those in 24 hours a day. So get us kicked off, Brendan. Tell us about your journey to Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, never heard myself spoken about like that. So, so excited to hear that. I, I might go put that on a t-shirt or something, but um, yeah, Syracuse for me was, it was always something in our family. Um, I grew up in the area. I was actually born on Syracuse campus. Uh, it's called Krauss hospital. Uh, so I was born on campus. So I went full circle when it came back to, to go into college there. Um, pretty natural upstate New York family. Uh, we bounced around a lot in terms of moving, but it had always been something that was in my blood. Um, wasn't really sure why I wanted to go there, what my majors were going to be like a lot of folks don't at the time, but just felt right, felt like home and uh, just wanted to cheer on the orange. So when, when you were evaluating, uh, you know, what, what financial institutions and or just businesses in general um, you know, post-college, you know, junior, senior year, people are like, hey, Brennan, what are you going to do with your life? Well, walk us through that initial process. Yeah, um, like most of us, uh, hopefully, or, or maybe I'm completely different. I, I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, went to school and started doing finance uh, as a natural degree that most people fall into if they don't really know what they want to do. Um, actually technically got two majors. So one in finance and one at Syracuse, which is called business management, which would be your general management in most places. Um, so really didn't know what I wanted. Those felt right. I had to kind of feel out what those classes were. I had kind of known, I don't want to go into accounting. I didn't want to be a lawyer. Didn't want to be a doctor, had no interest in, you know, biology. So it was kind of finding out where in business and, and where in that I wanted to go. So did a, an internship my sophomore year in private, uh, ultra high net worth, like private planning uh, with investments and finances and thought that was great and all, um, but then came back to school and, and didn't really have much passion for that. Um, then I started taking a bit more class, like the classes around business management a little bit more seriously and started to find uh, my strides in that. So the general corporate strategy understanding and dissecting business cases uh, was one of my favorite classes I took uh, at Syracuse. Actually, fun fact, we didn't open a single PowerPoint and or laptop. So taking it back to the, the 80s, it's if you called my mom right now and said what was Brennan's favorite class at Syracuse, it would be uh, from a teacher who only wrote literally with chalk on a board. Um, and for some reason, I really gravitated towards the idea of trying to understand whether it was complex or relatively uncomplex decisions around how corporate businesses were making decisions. I really like that. The thought process behind it, the, the frameworks that were utilized in, or, in order to do those things, in my opinion, was super exciting. So from there, that kind of 
changed my trajectory and focus on where I wanted to go with my career. Um, and then in that, uh, etched myself into a space at JP Morgan. They recruit quite heavily uh, at, at Syracuse, given proximity of upstate New York and, and a natural gravitation towards New York City. Um, and then some background uh, relationships that they have between JP Morgan and Syracuse in terms of general recruiting. So they were on campus, felt right seemed right, took a stab and took my junior year internship there in a, in kind of a development program. And, uh, the rest is kind of history on that. So when you were looking at JP and, you know, the opportunities that were there, did you have a fixed set of criteria or were you just pretty open-minded in terms of, Hey, this is, you know, finance is well known to be a great launch pad for careers in general, but did you have a fixed criteria or, um, were you just kind of feeling it out? I'd say definitely the latter, the feeling it out. I think the word launchpad is definitely kind of where my initial thoughts were. Get that, get that name on the resume, right? It was a household name, felt right, knew it could help me in whatever it meant in terms of the future. So whether that was continuing in the path of finance, going to business school, looking to eventually move into startups, um, I knew it would be something that you could put on a resume and would just ring true at its name. Um, but but to answer it more directly, no, it was a bit more of the latter in terms of trying to figure out what it was. So, um, so uniquely, the program I was in is actually a two-year, once I moved into full-time, this is post-college now, it's actually a two-year rotational program uh, where you spend six months in four different parts of the bank. Uh, so I was getting different varieties of experiences, working in different lines of businesses within JP Morgan, and trying to get my feet wet and what really triggered me and what really got me excited. So, so in that, you could argue that I didn't really find what I wanted to do, but I found a bunch of things I didn't want to do, which ultimately, in my opinion, is incredibly important early on in your career. Um, you're not always going to have that, that deep passion that some people have and know that I want to go right down this direction. So trying a couple times and finding out I don't want to do this can be just as beneficial. I think that's what I found early on. hundred percent. I think uh, for, for a lot of folks, they don't have that opportunity to hit, you know, a two or three year, six month rotation between all those different programs and allowing you to get the insights of so many different segments of the business. So you're able to understand, you know, what is that it that really makes me wake up. I do think it's pretty interesting, though, talking about the chalk on the whiteboard. Uh, do, do you or were you able to resonate that and like be able to still instill that chalk on the whiteboard mentality once you got to JP Morgan? Not, not, not really. Right. Cause it goes right into having to do what's asked of you specifically at a place like that, where that place has been churning for a hundred years and it's going to churn for a hundred years after and, and beyond. So the processes in, uh, were really already in place, which will lead to some of our, our thoughts around why I was ready to get out of that place. Um, but ultimately the, the mindset around it, of the thought process. So the class wasn't sit there. I mean, we've all like, we've all been in these classes. You sit there, they preach a PowerPoint at you. You don't pay attention. They let you have your laptops open. It happens. Uh, but for me, the idea of just being able to have an open discussion and dialogue around ideas was incredibly intriguing for me. And that's what a lot of us end up doing in our real life instead of just having PowerPoint spit at us. Ultimately, you're trying to make these business decisions with folks. You're whiteboarding if you want to turn the chalkboard into the, 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 the business terms of today. Um, so that's really just really intrigued me, in my opinion. And it just really got me interested in the idea of general business strategy and, and overall, you know, management, if you will. So when did you, when did you know it was ready to leave JP? Yeah, I wish I, I, wish I had a date. Um, just to drop on you guys as, as though I knew right away, but ultimately, so the, the, the program itself provided enough variability, right? So I did the two years, six months of peace. So it was always something fresh, always something I had to dig into something new to learn at that point. So I think after the two year program, it was time I grabbed a, a corporate strategy team and, and went full time into that. So like my career progression was set. I was going to be part of JP Morgan and, and keep going. Um, where I think it really started to click for me was a lack of, of tangible impact on what was happening. I think I started to understand what it meant to be at a place that was 250,000 people, X years old, uh, and no true opportunity to fail. You had to go through five to six 
hoops just to get something approved. You always had to have internal stakeholders. So there was nothing that really I could break. And I think about a year after so after that program, I just sat there and thought, what am I, what am I really doing? Does it really matter? Um, and I started to just have internal discussions with myself around how can I, how can I find something that I'm a bit more passionate about? Um, banking and finance in general is relatively intangible. Um, it's all in the background. It's all numbers. You don't really feel it. And for me, I wanted to really seek something that I felt I could see the impact happening quickly. So yeah. how, like, how, how would you define passion in terms of, you know, what, what were you looking for when it came to, you know, that passion, that tangibility aspect? Like, how does that tangibility tie in with a, with a passion? Yeah, I think for me, and I don't know whether I'll coin it and say I came up with it, but I certainly didn't. But I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know who told me, but it, someone said, just look around at the things that you either own and or are passionate about. So I'll use my examples. I'm a, at the time, less now because I work harder, but at the time I was a big golfer. So I thought, how cool to be to go work for Titleist in that corporate strategy, going back to that class and saying, hey, how can I just become part of the growth or decisions of a company? So at the time, big golfer. So I thought that'd be awesome. So I looked up Titleist and I said, what jobs does Titleist have? Not to mention they were based in Carlsbad, San Diego with some of the best weather in the country. So it was all intriguing to think about that. So I did that whole process with things, everything that I had. Big Nike wearer for running clothes. Wow, that'd be awesome to work for Nike. It's a great company. I believe in the product. And I started thinking about those types of things. What do I care about? Because my original thought was if I care about the product I'll care less about exactly what product service whatever you want to call it I'll care less exactly about exactly what I'm doing at the job because I'll be more passionate about the overall mission of what we're doing and for me I had no passion around what happened to JP Morgan or what didn't happen to JP Morgan right I had to chase credit card it's the most tangible thing you'll ever have with a bank so for me it just wasn't that exciting so I thought, what are the products that I care about? What are the companies that I either own multiple products for? Or is there just a passion that I had, whether it was golfing or something like that, that really at the time interested me? And I thought that would be cool to go work at something like that. That's what really triggered. And that's for me, felt like tangible. And that's how I defined tangible at that time was something that I cared about or some product that I was behind. That's very unique. I don't know if a lot of people take a look in themselves and say, wow, I'm very passionate about golf or I'm very passionate about sewing or I'm very passionate about building tables. And they start looking at, okay, do I need to go into these different sectors based off of what your true passion is? And a lot of people, especially in like these tough times, you know, they're in a job that they may not like, but they don't have a choice to leave the job because it's the income they need. And so then yeah. they're put in a tough place because they're truly not doing something that they want to do, but they don't have the impact and they don't have the ability to make the change because they, they need the revenue, they need the income. And so being able, you know, hopefully post COVID and, and these difficult times, people can assess and use your process of, you know, I, I've had investors say before, you know, invest money in products that you use every day as well. So not just where you invest your time and energy, but your, fi your financials. You know, Brennan and I get Starbucks pretty much every day. Andrew sometimes as well, you know, that it may be a smart idea to invest in Starbucks. Yeah, or go work at them, right? If you're oh. behind the product and you believe in it as a consumer or, or, or someone who owns it or believes in the service, you're going to naturally care more about what you do. And if you care about something, you're going to work more organically for it. You're going to work harder for it and just care about what your production is. So I think that's, that's what drove me is just think about what you like, Brennan. What do you like? What do you care about? What products do you own? And just start from there and just think about it instead of just going what sounds right or what feels right to work for. So what, what, was the, what were the companies on the line as soon as you decided, okay, I'm a, a fantastic golfer, a low handicap. You know, I want to move to Carlsbad, San Diego. You know, what shifted to then to DoorDash? Yeah. So quickly to answer it, you know, it was the likes of Nike, Lululemon, I, because they had completely owned me as a consumer, of course. 
um, all of the golf brands. I was just getting into running and cycling at the time. So looked at the bike brands and, and all of those as well. So um, looked at sports leagues, thought about that big sports fan. So just thought like, hey, it'd be cool to work for NBA, NFL, just these ideas of uh, stuff that I was just much more passionate about than JP Morgan. Um, how I got to DoorDash is twofold. One, obviously at the time was an avid user of, of food delivery, living in New York City, working longer hours. It was pretty natural to just, just get food ordered. Um, and then even more odd was that I was actually running a, an analysis internally on our JP Morgan's overall future around e-commerce. So basically, obviously internal of a bank, you have a lot of information on how people spend that chase card that I was just talking about. So the, the overall strategy was where's the future of credit cards going and consumer spend. And in that did a lot of analysis into the food and grocery space. So was digging into the likes of the Instacarts, Uber Eats, DoorDashes of the world and started just seeing the trajectory. I said, wow, why, like, why are people spending so much money on these at the time? I didn't even really know what DoorDash was, frankly, um, but just had seen the analysis and seen the trajectory. So I honestly, as admittedly as I can, I basically took the cities I wanted to be in because um, one thing, if we wind it all the way back, I was in New York City at this time and really great, loved it. But for me, it just wasn't 100%. I think New York's got its appeals and it doesn't. And for me, it was a no. So I was looking also to move outside of that as well. So I took a group of cities and a list of companies. And I literally just put a LinkedIn notification and said, tell me anytime a job pops up for these companies in these cities. And from there, I would assess it, right? That was my funneling component. Just tell me when these show up and if I'm interested, I'll read it and then I'll continue further on with that. Now, you know, you're talking about passion and tangibility. So, I mean, obviously DoorDash popped up on your radar. So what was that whole process like when you're getting to learn more about them and the company and, you know, what intrigued you and, you know, how did that align with, with, with the goals that you had around pursuing, you know, a career that had all of the things that you'd mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the DoorDash tangibility is, is obviously not all the way to the physical product of a Nike or something like that where you can feel it. But the idea of the, think about it, take tangible and turn it more into that growth thing that I was talking about before. So how could I create impact? DoorDash at the time was maybe three years old. Uh, the, the job I knew was going to be all around growth. So for me, that was the excitement. The excitement was around, can I be part of something that's building? Can I make core decisions in terms of what that growth is going to look like and can I wake up every morning feeling as though the impact that I had from the day before the trailing seven days was felt and I had I had to I had to make changes in order to move forward so I knew that just at the stage of the company was at that was going to be there and that for me was a fire that I had to go after I just I knew I didn't have it in what I was at right then and I knew I wanted that and I knew that it would provide that opportunity and from there it was just go, make it happen, get there, and then just start running once you get in and just feel it out. You know, Brennan, they, they say things about millennials and Gen Zs that we may never have that true one company career and that we could bounce around, you know, 10 to 25 times in, in our careers just due to the length. Do you feel or do you ever like, sense hesitation that if you are basing your foundation of where you want to be based off of growth, or excitement of the, around the product, like, do you see that it would cause you to want to, you know, every two to three years start to really reevaluate and potentially shift focus? I think that's a, an incredibly fair question. And let me preface with the fact that my dad worked 35 years at, the, at one company. And when I was leaving JP Morgan, that name on that resume, he had to gut check me big time. He said, what are you doing right now? You just don't do that in his eyes, to your point, Jeremy. So um, I was ready to take the leap. Um, to, to answer it again more directly, yes and no. Uh, I think, yes, you should always be reevaluating re that the core instincts in terms of what do you care about, what is your trajectory. And then on the no front is, is one that's a bit more unknown when you take those leaps is, does it continue to get you fired up? Do you continue to see your own personal development with the company? And do you start to lose that passion for the product and or service, right? You, I, I personally can say right now, I've had my 
my, my passions change throughout my life. And I'm only 28 years old. So I'm assuming it's going to change again and again. So to that, to that sense, how do I just make sure that it's always there for me? Um, I think it's fair to always just reevaluate though at the time. It doesn't mean you have to take a major career jump or change companies or do anything, but just always gut checking with yourself uh, from a personal standpoint. Am I doing something that I love? Do I care about the product or service or company that I'm working for? I think those two core components outside of what are you actually doing for that company or what's your day to day look like? I think those will drive a lot of good decisions and the rest you can kind of take more on the day to day. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's really fascinating too is the definition of what a great job is and how that's changed over time. You know, great has, you know, evolved from, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago to predictability and stability to where people are able to have, you know, it's a luxury, but it's a great luxury is being able to pick and choose where they want to go that fulfills other aspects of their life. Like what is, you know, at this point, and you had mentioned, you know, things do change, right? I mean, the person you are at 20 is going to be different than 30, 40, 50, 60, all the way to, you know, 80 plus. Um, you know, but at the present moment, like what is your North star and like, how do you define, you know, what an extraordinary career is? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Great career in my opinion is continuing it like for me and what I'm looking for now, and this is something I would have never had three years ago, but have had now two and a half years at DoorDash. I've seen what the other side of, of a company looks like again. JP Morgan walls were very controlled. So I didn't really understand what it was. Now I've seen the flip of that, of hyper growth, direct tangibility, a lot, a lot of ownership in terms of what's happening. And I love that, right? Two and a half years into it, I'm still fueling off that. That still gets me fired up every single day. In terms of what like my definition of what for me personally, my career should look like and what I want it to look like is one, I'm going to always anchor back. I always want to be working for something that I care about. Um, the degree in which that growth and tangibility, Jeremy, to your question before, I think is going to change over time. Um, you know, working in these companies can be exhausting. It does have a lot that comes with it as well. So I think the more that I look towards what's next for me is how can I continue to move up, still be part of that growth, but have a bit more control over that growth. It's tough to control the day to day in, in hyper growth companies. But if that's something that gets you super excited, it's great to jump into early and run with that excitement. And then lastly, in terms of the, the longer picture, I think I do have some drive to be part of something, build something eventually. I don't really know what that means yet, but something as I've moved further and further down this track of like the growth and tangible side of things, I still want more of that. So there's a piece there that I don't know yet around wanting to be part of something and building something yet. And I don't know if that's myself building something, anchoring on something that a, a close friend, colleague or something builds and becoming the strategy brain behind it or going to a company, a series A company and trying to do the same thing with them as well. So that's the, the unknown for me right now that I think I'll continue to mull on and think about, but could be a very natural next step as well. Brendan, that's fantastic. I, I definitely think you're on the way, certainly, you know, at the age of 28, being a d director of multi-billion dollar part of a rapidly rocket ship growing business. I would say though, that a lot of people that I talk with and Andrew and I will be interviewing will express similar thoughts of there is a in state of building a company, working with others that have a company and scaling that and being part of making impact. I would say even for myself and Andrew, as we've discussed, you know, building the summit, you know, a lot of that is stem behind. We want to create impact and change. And so when you find great people that have that mindset, we have the philosophy of connect with those people and run with those people. So this is all on a professional standpoint though. You know, there's the whole personal life and work-life balance here that, you know, it's yep. not just climbing the mountain of building a professional, like there's gotta be more to life than that. So how do you manage, you know, building the mountain of getting to that point of running a company or building something great with fantastic people to the golfing, to the family, to the friends. How do you balance those mountains? Yeah, I think there might be someone better to answer that question one day down the road than I, given I've, I, I found myself balancing one very heavily or, or leaning towards one super heavily at sometimes and the other the other times. Um, and 
the, in my opinion, it's a, it's a day-to-day balancing and decision on what is going to be that priority at the time. Um, and the variable, like the variables that come into that are super difficult based off of, again, going back to the amount of, uh, of ownership you have in some hyper growth companies, it's difficult sometimes to remove yourself from that. Um, because you're so called upon because you're so, uh, part of what's happening in the decisions that it's tough to always delineate between those two. But for me, um, as I've now been here for a while and have continued to build a team with me and all that, I can start to think about more. How, what are the personal things that I care about? How can I get back to golfing? I'd be lying if I told you I golfed, uh, more than 10 times over the past two and a half years. But that's my own, to my own demise and to my own fault, of course, right, in terms of trying to find that balance. Um, but for me, that balance is exercising. That's my release. That's my way of either starting a day on what I believe is a super high note and getting the, the, everything flowing ahead of a long day of meetings and or the vice versa, which is the, the release at the end of the day of running through a, a tough day or running through ideas or thinking about what happened and reflecting on that day. Um, those are my ways of, of balancing it is, is through exercise. And that really gets me balanced, I'd say, between some of the stress or workload that takes place uh, in, in, a, in a high growth company. Totally. And, you know, that's a big piece, especially with people that are, you know, chasing really ambitious goals. You know, there is a heavy emphasis on on work and, you know, the the more meaningful, well, you know, take this to the grain of salt, but it's like, you know, the more meaningful the company, the faster they're growing, the more impact that they have on society and the bigger that they get, the more the pressure there is to deliver. You know, how do you prioritize your work and personal life? And like, just what's your, what's your process for that? You know, helping some people out because there may be somebody out there who's like, man, I'm really going after this, but you know, I, I need to get some perspective here, you know, because what I'm doing may not be working. You know, what is something that you could, you could share about how you prioritize, you know, your, your day, your life, your week. Yeah. And this is something that I'm continuing to build upon. I, to, to, again, to say that I know it all is, would be, would be the biggest lie there could be, but something that I've been trying to work on is segmented days. So what I mean by that is we all have a, a huge list of things that we're working on. Things are going to come in the pipeline, meetings that we've got to attend to. So how can you best develop a plan throughout whether it's a day or a week that allows you to be as most efficient as possible? Um, I think, you know, seven, seven, highly, uh, seven habits of highly effective people when you talk about urgency versus importance. Um, in, the, in the line of work that I'm in, I, I work on our partnership side, so dealing with large restaurant brands. Um, I, we often, in my team and, and folks that I work with, we often find ourselves living in the urgency bucket and not thinking about what's important. Those proactive items that think about how can I drive this business forward instead of just handling a task. So for me, it's, that's one, that's a macro piece, which is the urgency versus importance and trying to balance that. And the other is how can I dedicate parts of my day to certain items that allow me to have the most efficient 24 hours of a day. And that's a very like scientific approach to thinking about it. But in my opinion, if that's what you're really after, it's going to allow you to do that. It's going to allow you to do that fast. It's going to allow you to do that accurately as well. So do I dedicate a certain time of the day for emails? Uh, I know Jeremy and I share the sentiment. I think better during certain times of the day to handle certain components. So do I wake up early and just riff through some emails instead of trying to send them at 9, 10 p.m. at night where I might just be burnt out from the day and not really think through things? So trying to just balance my day like that is a very tactical way in which I try to optimize for performance, personal side of things as well, and then also the, the growth within that. So I think that's how like some of the things that I personally think about, I, I would challenge most people to think about it like that as well. Just think about, are you utilizing your 24 hours as best as you possibly can? If not, are there very specific things that you can change or do you even want to change? Right. I think you got to ask that question first. Am I, am I really hungry enough to make a drastic change to my life in order to see the result that I believe is at the end of the tunnel? Wow, Brendan, I, I don't want to call you a robot, but it seems that this process is so drilled down. 
I, I don't even, I won't even ask, like, do you play video games? Because I assume the answer will be no. Um, because the, the answer is no. I cut had- my cable recently, finally, to be honest. Hand up. I had cable. So when I moved to Atlanta, I, I got cable. And then I started traveling a lot for work and obviously dedicating a lot of time. My first purchase was I need a desk at home and I need a second monitor at home. Because whenever I came home from the office and now obviously work from home is, is a bit more uh, normal. But at the time, it was when I come home from the office, I'm not done. So I was like, I need to make sure I'm optimizing for that. But um, no, I like, yeah, I, I mean, for me, that's, there's times where you need to relax and you need to force yourself into doing those things. But also those are distractions that for me that I'd rather utilize that time for some type of personal development component, whether that's a run, whether that's literally just going for a walk and listening to a podcast and clearing my head. I still think that's incredibly beneficial. So yeah, I, I, I try to definitely utilize my time as best I can. Well, in the show notes, we can definitely highlight the seven habits of highly effective. Uh, what was the, the last piece of that, Brennan? The seven habits of highly effective people. People. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. And one of the things, and again, um, it's a quadrant, essentially. Uh, the quadrant is urgency and importance. Um, and that, and oh, sorry, that splits the two between them. And it's something that basically, and, and high and low, obviously, in terms of impact. And it's something that specifically I, I can relate to as if you work in a situation where you have clients, external clients, you very frequently find yourself on this very urgency side of things. So if there's a line in the middle of the paper and you just lived on that side, what you're not doing is allowing yourself to do important things. Those important things might not clear your inbox. They might not make your client hundred percent as satisfied as if you responded in five seconds. But what it is, is making sure that you're doing those proactive things or growing the business. So in a DoorDash situation, or for example, that could be, am I working on a strategic path or thinking about a new product or new growth lever that I can bring to one of my partners versus clearing an inbox that's more personally satisfying for me. So finding that balance or trying to build a process to help you balance that, in my opinion, is super helpful. So yeah, there's, there's, there's writings out there that, that help think through these things. It's not follow it to a T, but it's rather what does it, what, what part of it resonates with you and can you take some part of it to bring it to your life and be more effective? That's awesome. So you had, uh, you know, you had mentioned exercising as a big piece and, you know, de-stressing and, you know, Jeremy mentioned you're a, you know, you're, you're an ultra, ultra athlete running these, these crazy triathlons, which is awesome. Um, you know, how do you apply that, that framework to balancing your goals and ambitions on the athletic side? Yeah, uh, that's, it, it all, it, it's very tough, right? Because as you mentioned, yeah, so triathlons, marathons, Ironmans, um, if you go do any research right now, uh, I don't know how long they'll tell you you need to train for an Ironman in a week, but I'll tell you, it's probably more than 35 hours, 30 to 35 hours. I don't have 30 to 35 hours on a classic day. So the balance of that, and this all depends on what's coming down my pipeline in terms of potential race schedule, work, travel schedule, all that. You can find yourself in a situation where the alarm clock's got to start at 4 a.m. And the laptop might not shut until 10 to 11 p.m. And frankly, uh, Jeremy mentioned robot. Um, Frankly, sometimes if I get in a good rhythm, I genuinely enjoy that. I genuinely feel incredibly empowered and motivated by taking uncomfortable situations. No one's going to call an Ironman a comfortable thing or, or a marathon a comfortable thing, but I find great personal satisfaction in pushing myself to the limit. And I don't know how that comes off, but for me, it's exciting. It's incredibly exciting to say, I'm going to take this on. Balancing it is obviously can be difficult, but that's just trying to carve out that time. So go back to the day and, you, and I was talking about trying to segment my day. Now that I'm working from home, very specifically, I have, I will hand up. I don't know if I've told many people on my team, but I have taken midday runs. I didn't have an hour. I had an hour block. I didn't have anything to do. I've said, okay, I'm going to best utilize my time right now. And I don't think I need to sit here and answer some emails. I'll get back to that. But like, it's a beautiful day out and I'm going to go get a midday run. So um, just trying to find the balance of when I can do both. And again, it's a chicken and an egg in the sense that I already talked about how it's a release for me. So it's not like it's work to go out for a run. In my opinion, it's actually very nice to clear the head, 
I do a lot of thinking on my runs and bikes and all of that that allow me to think about the day, reflect, think about my team. Am I developing people the right way? Are people unsatisfied? Did something happen in a meeting that I didn't catch right away that I might like post think about that I can then bring to the future? And then secondly, can I think about things that I'm not thinking about? Whether that's, is there a company we talked about like, what's next for me? Am I thinking about something I wanna build? Am I thinking about a company that's really interesting me right now? Just so clearing my head a real good bit in terms of forward thinking things, thinking about the day, all that good stuff. So, you know, definitely a great utilization of time. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans. We only have 24 hours in the day. We're all similar exactly. in that regard. You know what? And it, you know, it seems like you have a very disciplined way of managing your time. You know, what, what's the motivation to squeezing every minute out of that? You know, because there are some people that are happy just, you know, lounging and enjoying these off moments of time and what they do, whether it's like watching TV or just going through, a, going for a stroll in the park, you know, whatever it is to them that brings them the happiness is, is awesome. Like, what is that motivation to squeeze every ounce out of the day? I, I wish I had a, a certain thing that I was going for in life specifically. Um, but frankly, it's, it's really, at this point, I'd almost want to say it's a snowball effect. I think it wasn't always, I wasn't always this driven. I wasn't always this focused on my career and trying to grow. Um, I had to build this internal self-drive that said, like, as best you can utilize your 24 hours. You mentioned it. Like, I, I personally get incredibly fired up by the, the ideas of motivational speeches and, like, utilize your 24 as best you can. The Kobe, a thousand shots type of stuff. Like, that stuff gets me incredibly self-driven and self-motivated. So I'm always leaning on just my own personal desires to be as best at every aspect of what I'm doing at every single point. So whether that's exercise, whether that's my own personal uh, development in terms of my career, now I'm thinking about my team, right? So I know Jeremy knows very closely, you know, I think a lot about now, I've just built a team at DoorDash and now I sh I've shifted off of, hey, stop caring 100% about what Brendan's career is. I'll think about that, that'll all play out. But now I've got people reporting me so now I'm thinking about, okay, how can I be best at managing? So I've got managing books I'm reading into. I'm looking, doing external research on how I can do that. So I think it's just a fueled drive of, I just want to do the best that I can at all aspects of what I'm trying to do, whether it's personal stuff, career things. Um, but there's not a North Star that I'm looking after for any of these specific things. Not yet, at least. There might be something that comes up at, at some point, but for right now, it's just a continued drive to try to, to try to be best at it, that I can be, that is. Yeah, you see a lot of people uh, always try to ask very successful people, like, what makes you wake up at 4 a.m. every day? Like, why do you work these crazy hours? Why are you, you know, running triathlons and Ironmans, but then also working 80 hours a week on a business? And I think, it, to your point, at the end of the day, it is that desire to be the best. And I think in previous conversations that you and I have had, you know, there is that internal pride of, I want my work to be the best possible work. If that means I'm sacrificing personal time, TV time, I'm prioritizing being as successful as I can in my current role for my current uh, race that I have coming up. And, you know, for those, the climbers that are listening, you know, when we talk about the summit and how you climb and choose those mountains, it is okay if part of the reason of why you want to climb that mountain is solely just to be the best, to say, I ran the fastest race because I want the pride and satisfaction of I'm going to work for it. And I think it's okay for people not to know. And I think your secret sauce is that you do want to be the best. And for others that drive to climb the mountain is financials or the drive could be getting that that trophy in in the back of you know hanging it up on the wall but i've seen though like you don't you keep your bag of trophies like in a closet on the floor so it seems like i was winning... literally just about to say this is this is perfect i'll go grab the bag i have every single medal that i've ever gotten from a race in a bag in a drawstring bag in my closet and 
It's also because I live in a one bedroom apartment and it's not like I have my, my future pain cave, which will be my basement where I grind out my, my runs and, and bikes. But yeah, they're in a bag. And I think that does speak to some of what I'm trying to communicate, which is, I, I, I yeah, it's great to get a medal. It's great to be recognized. It's great to have, you know, my family come to races. It's always exciting. But I, I genuinely love the, and I'm going to focus on, this is racist, so take me back to career if we need to. But, like, I genuinely love the feeling of the uncomfortable thing. I, I, like, at running a marathon, the, the heartbeat that you have is the national anthem is playing in the morning. I don't know if everybody, you know, out there that's just out there to run a marathon gets it, but I'm tingling. And I absolutely love that. I absolutely love it. It's the same thing. And I'll take that a step further. You do a, a triathlon where you have to jump in water. That's incredibly uncomfortable situation for the human person to jump into open water, choppy water with a couple thousand people and just flail your arms. It's very uncomfortable, but um, my heart's racing, but I love that. So for me, those, and, and I, maybe, maybe there's some connection to career that I haven't really thought of right now, but it's probably something along those lines where I love the big deal in a partnership. I love doing the right thing. I like building the team. I like all that. It's the same type of feeling that I don't know where the next step is in any of my either personal or, or career yet, but I like the hunt of having to go get it for myself a lot. So if you had to define like what the, the pinnacle is in terms of your athletic pursuits, you know, how do you, how do you define that? Or is it a lot of it is it's, it's chasing the journey, you know, that journey of discomfort and growth and progress. It's chasing it because it'll probably change. Right. So I did my first race was it's called Olympic triathlon. It's, it's a shorter distance. That was great. That, that was my comfort zone at the time. Then it changes, then it grows. And then you do, you extend that distance or you do a race in a, extreme place. I've got a desire to run the Patagonia marathon down in South America. Like it just changes. It becomes, in my opinion, a bit more extreme. So it'll always change. Um, you know, I've got racing, like pure running goals. I've got triathlon based goals as well. Just races that I want to get to in life. Uh, there's world championships and all of these, there's something called the Abbott's medal in running, which is running the six major world marathons. Um, so there's these, there's these tangible things. Again, yeah, you get a trophy for those things, but it's something that it's part of that world's um, pinnacle. I think you use the word pinnacle. I think that's just a natural one. And then from there, I'll continue to think about what is the next one? Um, how extreme can I take this? How far can I go? Um, whatever it might be, I don't know yet on, on those ones. Well, I definitely think that in that description of going to Hawaii, going to Patagonia, going to different countries and cities to compete, you know, those are small summits. Those are those short tangible goals that you do have in place that it is not an endless, I want to run a company, which is super high. You know, it's, I want to make my team better. You know, that's one step. That's one that's halfway up the mountain on the, on the athleticism side, you know, getting to hit a certain time allows you to qualify for the next. And so even though the, the end may be this summit that we don't even see, or we can imagine today, the steps that you're taking today are slowly helping you climb those. So you're ensuring that you're on the, that right path. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to set the, it's the short term goals, right. As well. I think if you've got a summit or if you've got something that you're hundred percent after to just say, I'm going for that would be, you know, you set yourself up for failure. Potentially you've got to set the, the actual goals that are in between there and then. So uh, you mentioned Hawaii. It's the, the world championship Ironman race. That, that is one of my goals. But in order to do that, you've got to run an Ironman race as well. So you can't just go after Z. You've got to start at A and, and work your way up there. So take that analogy and apply it to anything, right, career-wise. If I want to be the CEO of a brand-new company, if I want to build a company, I should probably go fail and learn what it's like to build a company that maybe I don't own all the responsibility or maybe I don't have to go through the entire business plan creation right now, but I can step in on the relatively early side and figure out, I've never run an HR department. I've never been on top of a, I've never owned a PL. But like, if I want to go build a company, I should probably figure out how to either fail at those things or learn how to do those things so that I, I then have something to lean on when it comes time. So take that career wise, per, uh, development wise, relationship wise, wherever you want, 
I think, um, yeah, people should, we should be setting those very tangible goals that are right in front of our faces. So what does the future look like for Brendan Thomas? And if you were to give somebody, you know, some, some key advice in terms of, could be somebody at any age, but they're just looking for some direction. You know, they've got, you know, a gut feel that they want to do more, but they don't know how to approach that. Like, you know, what's next for you and what kind of advice would you give somebody to actually, you know, identify that mountain and then put the plan in place for actually getting up on it? Yeah, I think I'll go advice first as I think about what my answer might be for the other one mid-sentence. Um, but in terms of advice, I think I was actually helping a friend, uh, a friend's friend recently as he was thinking about career. And I told him at the time, um, and this will be career focused, just, just to miss answer, but I told him, I was like, you have to take, take the first step in trying to figure out what generally what you want to do from there. Again, depending on age, Jeremy, you talked about the necessity for that, that income potentially. So there's always very, there's the variables that might not allow you to be as aggressive or as risky as you want to. But taking that all into the mix and, and having your own equation, my, my comment would be put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, very broadly. Put yourself in an uncomfortable situation in a relationship, in a personal goal or in a career goal. Do something that makes you relatively uncomfortable about making that decision. Go run your first race. Go into the interview loop for what would be your dream job and just figure out what, what maybe it might not be. Uh, do something in a relationship that might be uncomfortable. Force yourself into becoming a better person or a better partner or whatever it might be. I think that would be my macro comment. Just do something that is uncomfortable to you right now. Yeah, I think- And then now to answer, sorry, go ahead, yeah. Well, I know, Brennan, I think that that's such a key statement right there, putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. We, everyone is so naturally risk averse. I mean, at these times right now, everyone is at home. Like you see people outside and they're like, there is a sense of fear of, of the unknown and saying, okay, well, the first step is to put yourself into an uncomfortable situation. You know, you're telling people take that step off the ledge and like a lot of people are afraid of falling, how we can get to, you know, the what's next for Brendan. What do you do for yourself to make sure that, you know, when you fall, if you do fall, that you're going to be fine, that you're going to land and keep going. I think it's self-confidence in the fact that you, you know, that one hiccup 28 years old, isn't the end of it. There's a lot of opportunity out there and, and I don't have all the stories of everybody's failures and everybody's successes from those, but they're out there, right? So you, you, can't, just, you can't just assume that one bad job is going to end everything for you. One bad role or running a 10K, whatever it is, like it, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine and you're going to become better because of it, in my opinion, right? Building all of these, these scars both literally, figuratively, all that into your, your system and into your mind are going to just make you a better person. And the experience is if you don't step out on that ledge or if you don't put yourself in that uncomfortable situation, you'll never experience it. You'll never learn from it. You'll never grow from it. So I didn't always run. I didn't always do triathlons. I just did my first one and it became my thing. So I have friends who've done a race and they said, no, not for me. That's completely okay. But like at least they figured it out or at least they attempted. So I think that going back to that uncomfortable piece, it's, it's find that. Find something that makes you uncomfortable and then become a more well-rounded individual because you've either learned from it, it's become a passion or you failed at it or whatever it might be. All of that is beneficial. And our bodies and our minds are always going to be adapting because of that. And they're always going to have it in the back of our heads in terms of, oh, I remember doing that or I didn't like that or I really loved that. And those feelings are going to naturally start to help you build, in my opinion, they're going to help you build your, your own vision for yourself and what you want. Brendan, we, we definitely appreciate you taking the time to hop on the summit with us, which this is our, our first episode. I do know the audience will want to know, the climbers want to know the, the future uh, of yourself and, and what is that next mountain you're looking to climb. Could you share with us what, what that next mountain looks like for you? 
The next mountain for me, um, if I go career, I really do, I do really want to build something. I do really want to be at the forefront of making a decision about something that's a disruptor. Um, I, like I said, I didn't ever think that this would be something I wanted, but being at DoorDash and seeing the folks who were here early, I, I want that. I just think that's incredibly exciting. The idea of going out there and having to really force yourself. That for me is incredibly uncomfortable. I think Jeremy knows from some of my conversations, I've got good friends as well that I, we basically spend hours on weekends just trying to think of new ideas together. And, and, and I've sized out business opportunities before, um, some in the exercise space. I've thought about trying to disrupt the space. And again, that's a thing that I'm passionate about and something I can know kind of well. So I'm like, how can I disrupt something? And that's in my, in my opinion, outside of, yeah, going for a run or running a certain distance doesn't scare me that much, but going into a new business and leaving behind what I now know is super scary for me, but also something that I, is out there and something I want. So I think that's my next step. And I can't, obviously, if I had it, I'd be, have a business plan on the wall behind me right now, but I don't. So I think that's it. It's continuing to seek that. Um, that'll be my own personal summit, if you will, is, is can, I, can I build something and, and can I really put myself out there? Well, we'll be, awesome. excited to, we'll be excited to see when you have that whiteboard and or chalkboard of all those ideas. And hopefully we'll be able to, after this episode, share all the great content advice on our website, which will still be being built out right now. But we will have on our social channels uh, some of these tips that you've had and practices that you use to be successful. So with that, the first episode of the summit will conclude. Brendan, thank you so much for being a part of this. And we, we hope you guys tune in for our episode two. Uh, and hopefully in the future, we can have you back on. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Take care. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you have questions, feedback, and ideas for future episodes, please email us at summitpodcasts at gmail.com. Again, that's summitpodcasts, plural, at gmail.com. Or message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Summit Podcasts. Thanks so much and keep on climbing.